0: Please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Doug and Jesse King.
1: Good morning, everybody. You're listening to GCO Radio and this week is going to be a little bit different because Jesse is out ill this week. She wasn't able to come in for for the show. So I'm kind of here um, off the reservation and, and unchained by myself. So... I'm hoping that we will have uh, uh, some good discussion for you, something that you'll enjoy. And I was looking for a topic this week because Jesse and I were originally were going to do hunting, which I know about as much as hunting as I know about women's shoes. So this was going to be her chance to talk about hunting and Georgia regulations and how they differ from West Virginia, where she's from, and, and her hunting stories with her father because it's opening weekend now and everyone's getting excited for deer season. And then we've got turkey season coming up. And honestly, I I can't do it. I don't know anything about hunting. I It's not that I have anything against hunting. I think that's an absolutely admirable thing. I wanted to go bear hunting when I lived up in Alaska. I thought that that would be the most awesome thing on Earth, would be to hunt down a grizzly bear the size of a small car. But the honest truth is, I can't talk to you guys about hunting. I really can't. I needed a guide. I was going to have them show me what to do. I love shooting. I don't know the first thing about being able to track a deer or what to do with one once you shoot it, other than eat eat the meat that comes out of the freezer. This is why I have a beautiful wife to handle things like hunting. But so I'm I'm here at a loss of what to do, and I'm trying to figure out. Well, what would be a good topic? What is something that that is a burning question? So. I went back to georgiapacking.org. Now, I have not visited georgiapacking.org since 2012, I don't think. It was sometime back then when I finally kind of washed my hands of the Internet forums and moved on with the real world, which is far more interesting in many ways and a lot less frustrating in every way. So... I decided that, you know, if if I want to find out what people are talking about, and what people are worried about, and what people are concerned about, and maybe find a topic that I actually can discuss at length, what better place than to go to Georgia Packing and just kind of peruse through? And so, here I am, looking down the list, and I go to, you know, Georgia Law section, because that's something I can talk about easily, and lo and behold, here's a thread started, I think it was yesterday morning, um... Looks like it, yeah. Nope, nope. <coughs> it's been up for a while. I guess they're not getting as much traffic on there as they used to. Um, back on the last day of September, Mrs. House screen name, asked, Defensive shooting lawyers, first, can we make this a sticky somewhere? And then there's a smattering of contact info for who to contact If there's a defensive shooting. She goes on to say, all I know is Doug King does this work. John Monroe seems to only do GCO cases. I'm probably wrong on that. Uh, Gunsmoker Maid does these. I have no idea. Well, what about Ed Stone? Well, you know, this is a a good topic because I think, and of course, you know, the replies go down and they start saying, well, it's an excellent idea. Maybe it'd be advertising. I'd like it too. We see, um, ATL Philip wants it up there. Sign Noman says, I feel like it needs three sections, one for lawyers who do defensive shooting, one's for people who specialize in carry law, like if you get denied your permit, and finally, lawyers who are gun-friendly but who do regular work as well. And that's what caught my attention because it doesn't really work that way. And here's, here's the problem. In Georgia, there are probably five defensive shootings in a year of those five defensive shootings maybe one of them actually gets charged with something if they get charged with something it's probably not murder and so the the gist of it is is how are you going to make a living doing this if you are the defensive shooting lawyer which is what i had set out to be long ago before i figured out the the quagmire that this becomes then how are you going to make a living because there's just is not enough work out there. I mean, the flip side is you turn around and say, okay, well, basically there's one real defensive shooting case in the entire state of Georgia each year. I'm going to go out and get that. Now, if I'm going to base my whole practice around doing one case, what am I going to charge this person? Fifty grand, sixty grand, eighty grand, plus expenses. Well, you know, you hit somebody with those kind of numbers and they freak out and they're like, "Well, I can't afford eighty grand. That's insane. I can't come up with that kind of money." Well, the problem is, is that if you're going to be a specialist then you have to charge more for your specialty. And there just isn't the volume of work to maintain that specialty in this state. Now, maybe in Chicago, you might have more you know, shootings, you're going to have more murders, so you'd have a higher propensity for picking up murder cases in general. But there, where you have the higher murder rates, and this is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, when you have higher murder rates, you have lower incidence of gun ownership because the more people who are actively carrying, the more people who are taking personal responsibility, the more people who are defending themselves, the less you're going to have murders. So while you may be able to have a good murder practice in New York, Chicago, L.A., all of these big cities, unlike Atlanta, where we are one of the better cities to live in, really, or Dallas if you're going to have that kind of specialty, you're not going to be specializing in self-defense shootings, because there just aren't that many of them. If you're in an area where there is the kind of high propensity of people to carry a gun in self-defense, then the number of shootings goes down, so you're in a losing situation either way if you're trying to make a living on it. Now, if you're trying to stay alive, the best option is to live someplace where people do carry guns every day, where they are protecting themselves, taking personal responsibility for themselves and others, because that makes it so that the you're not going to be as likely to be involved in a situation where people are trying to do you harm but as a defense attorney it doesn't make a lot of sense so here's the way it breaks down if you're looking for a defense attorney you're going to find one of two types first there are the diehard criminal defense attorneys most of these have been sucked into the public defender system And that's just the honest truth about what happened in Georgia. Back in 2004, the public defender, well, 2005, the public defender system rolled out in Georgia, and the the system was forever changed. Good or bad it's forever been changed. Now, it used to be that if you wanted a lawyer and you could afford a lawyer, you wouldn't hire a lawyer because – You wanted to have the person you wanted. If you couldn't afford an attorney, you would show up in court and you'd say, Your Honor, I'm indigent. I can't afford an attorney. Under Gideon versus Wainwright, I'm entitled to counsel in a criminal defense case. Give me a lawyer. And the judge would look at all of the paid lawyers in the room and point at one of them and say, Hey, you. Yes, you over there. You don't look too busy. You only got one thing on my calendar today. Why don't you take his case and we'll pay you 50 bucks an hour for it. And the lawyer would look at the judge and say, Okay, Judge, sure. And then you have a lawyer. Now, this lawyer maintains his own office. He has all sorts of paid clients who are looking at his reputation. And if he bombs out your case, it's going to hurt his reputation with all the other people who are going to hire him. Because you're going to pitch a fit about how bad he was and how he didn't take care of your case. And he owes you the same duty of respect that he owes any client who paid him thousands of dollars to do the case. So since his reputation is on the line, he should be doing the best job he can for your case because he's been appointed to it. The problem was is that there were an awful lot of people who were milking the system. They would go and meet with their client one time and say they met with their client ten times. Or they'd say that they went out to the jail three times when they only went out to the jail one time. And they would, would pad their hours. That way their 50 bucks an hour became... 150 bucks an hour, and then it was actually worth doing for them because they were making the same money that they would make off of um, a retained client. And with that kind of incentive system, with nobody providing checks and balances, the representation suffered. So the Supreme Court of Georgia, the, the last chief justice at the time in 2002, 2003, got a wild hair that this needed to change. We needed to revamp the entire indigent defense system in Georgia. And he wanted a public defender system because every other state had a public defender system. Now, anyone who listens to this show on a regular basis understands that I'm a Christian. And I bring in a lot of biblical references. And this is one that really gets to me because it's so much like in uh, with Samuel. When the people came to Samuel, who was their prophet and their leader and the one who was, was judging them and taking care of them, and said, Samuel, we want a king. And Samuel's like... Why on earth do you want a king? If you have a king, he's going to levy taxes, he's going to take your women, he's going to send your men off to war. This is a terrible thing. Let God be your king and, and let's just keep doing what we're doing. And the people say, no, 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 we want a king. Well, this is exactly what happened in Georgia with criminal defense. Because it used to be that there was a whole bunch of people who were in private practice doing their thing, taking some appointed work here and there, keeping themselves afloat and doing quite well with it and representing people to the very best of their ability. But the people wanted a king. They wanted to have a public defender standards council, a government organization, government-run, government-down, government employees who are getting government benefits in order to try their cases. It so that way there would be accountability, right? Because if the government runs something, it's going to be way better than free enterprise, right? Now, if if we ever get people in government who are actually believers in individual liberty who believe in making changes so that people are accountable for their own actions who believe that people should have a right to be able to do things in a free enterprise system you want to talk about privatizing Social security that's a that's a wonderful thing I think that's an awesome idea I want to privatize criminal defense again because with it running through a public defender system the inherent flaws become obvious that there is no way that these people who are government employees who work for the same government that's prosecuting you are going to be impartial or who are going to be able to devote the attention that they want because there's inevitably budget limitations, there's inevitable conflicts, and by having it invested inside of the, the same sort of institutions that are controlling the judge's budgets, the, the prosecutor's budgets, the police's budgets, and now the public defender's budgets, it it just becomes a real mess. Every which way you look at it, it becomes a real mess. And I have horror stories from the first year, because my first year, the first year that they had that, I wanted to do criminal defense. So I went into being a public defender. And my goodness, some of the things that, that went on that year were just were heartbreaking and horrifying, where the old system had its flaws, but... Anyway, we're coming up on a commercial break. So when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about public defenders and how to pick a lawyer.
0: And now back to GeorgiaCary.org radio with Doug and Jesse King.
1: Welcome back everybody. You're listening to Doug King on Georgiacarry.org radio. Uh, my co-host Jessie is ill this week. She, I, I promise promised you that she was not abducted by aliens. She has not been, uh, ransacked, ransomed, carried away, or joined mom demand action. So we're, we're all good. It's just a matter of, of a little bit of, you know, seasonal stuff. And Jessie will be back next week. Now next week, next week, if I remember correctly, is not Halloween. No, next week is not Halloween, but. When we do the Halloween show, and the Halloween show is going to air on Halloween this year, we are going to have an absolutely awesome show. And I I, I hate to give spoilers this far out, but since I don't have too much to talk about today, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a, a little bit of a spoiler anyway. We are going to be having live... Radio theater. I am not joking. This is going to be like stuff out of the 1930s where where we were is is going to be mind blowing. It is going to be an awesome episode where we deal with truly one of the most exciting prospects that I have heard in a long time for radio theater. We are going to be doing horror movies for Halloween. Now, so just keep that in the back of your mind. The day to tune in when you're getting the kids ready and everyone's so excited and before they have their 10 tons of candy that night, Saturday morning, Halloween day, GCO Radio presents 30-second horror movies. So that'll be a great show well worth tuning into. When when we took the break, I was talking a little bit about the public defender system. And when, when you take and you suck off so much of the work... Now, when, when I was doing private practice, doing sole criminal defense, you know, I would have probably six cases a month from the appointed work and probably two cases a month from retained work. And they balanced out so that the appointed work, those six cases were about 30 or 40 percent of my income. And the two retained cases were between 60 and 70 percent of my income. So that was kind of the the give and take. And doing 8 or 9 cases a month, easy, light workload, not really stressful, made the bills and the you know, some some months you'd have a really big case come in that was a retained case. Some months you may not have any retained cases at all. The public defender work kind of just kept you going. Made sure that you always paid your power bill, gave you a level of safety and security. Downside was of course, you know, you'd had no health care, you had no benefits, you were gonna work until the day you died because there was no retirement, but at least you had kind of a steady income to keep everything going during the lean times and during the good times you could put money away or do whatever needed to be doing. It was it was a pretty good safety mechanism for people who wanted to devote their lives to defending other people. Now, we're talking about how do you pick a gun lawyer? Well, the problem is, is like I said in the first segment, there's just not enough work to go around to be a gun lawyer all the time. So what are you going to do? Well, the old way was you would become a gun lawyer and then you would take appointed work. But now you can't. And if you become a public defender and you take the government cheese, then you're forever beholden to him. You can't do other work. You can't even do trusts on the side. You can't do anything on the side if you're going to go and work in their office. And once you become part of that system, now you're part of a grind. And... The, what I have seen over and over and over again with public defenders is that they come in with a good heart. They come in wanting to, to do right by people, and they're either crushed by the weight of the number of cases that come through and become bitter and disenchanted and don't work as hard as they once did. Or they get their sea legs under them and say, hey, I could make so much more money in private practice and go out on their own after a year or two because now that they've kind of been broken in while they had governmental immunity against lawsuits, they then think that they can run their own firm and they go out. My best advice for people who are looking for a good lawyer is to not really look, Try don't, don't try looking for a lawyer who does nothing but self-defense shootings. They just don't exist. They can't. There's no way that they can make a living. <coughs> if you find someone who does nothing but self-defense shooting, <coughs> they may, <coughs> excuse me, a little dusty in here. They made their money somewhere else, and they were basically retired. Is that a bad thing? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I wish I could retire. I'm quasi-retired now, it seems like. But the truth is, is that there, there's no way that you can maintain a full and active practice just off of that. So now you've got the people who do primarily criminal defense, and then you get the people who may be gun people and are lawyers. Both are dangerous, because the people who do primarily criminal defense are going to say, well, why did you have a gun? Most criminal defense attorneys are very liberal and not the the small l good liberal But I'm talking about the liberals who think that we should have assault weapons bans who think that you shouldn't have the right to carry that guns are bad and that you don't get the kind of sympathy or Passion in front of the jury that you would get from someone who really believes in firearms great So let's go to the other category Let's shift over and start talking about people who are really good gun people who happen to be lawyers how many cases does an average lawyer try in a year? None. I mean, if you take your average run-of-the-mill lawyer out there, most of them probably don't even see the inside of a courtroom in a year. And the truth is is that most attorneys who make their bread and butter off of personal injury or from divorces don't go to court. Now, the divorce attorneys tend to show up for court once in a while to do like a hearing or something minor in front of a judge. But a jury trial? Nah doesn't happen. So you may have someone who's very passionate about guns, but if he doesn't know a jury and he doesn't know how juries think, you're going to be in deep, deep water if you get past the negotiation process. Now, the flip side is, to be honest, most of these cases resolve before you get to a jury. Most attorneys don't want to go to court. I mean, because let's think about it. Court costs them money. Can Can they double bill while they're in the courtroom? No. And do the attorneys double bill all the time? What happens? Well, I'm sitting here waiting for this or that to happen. While I'm waiting for this phone call, and I'm billing you for you know my time waiting for the phone call, I'm typing up a document for someone else. I'm billing them for the time to type up the document. And if some courthouses, you know, with, if you're doing light hearings or something like that, you're there for three hours waiting for the judge to get around to you. You're billing for the time in court for the one client. You're billing another client while you're sitting type up their document or read emails or do whatever else you're doing on the side with your laptop while you're waiting to be called. And so you can make a lot of money in that sort of situation. If you're in trial, the only thing you can do is trial. So you can't make any side money. So trials suck away their time and puts them in focusing on one thing. Trials are a lot of work. You Trust me, you do have no conception of how much work goes into getting a jury trial ready. Uh, the, the The constant worrying. I mean, this is something that I tell people all the time in my practice, is that if, if you hire an attorney, what you are doing is taking all of your worries and putting them on the attorney and saying, you worry about it. And then that attorney takes your money, which is a large sum of money usually, and goes home and starts to worry about how to do everything in your case. Every concern becomes their concern, not yours, theirs. Well, getting ready for a trial, there are so many things that can go wrong. I mean... Trials are really rolls of the dice. You never know. You never know what a jury is going to do. You, there, there's no way to predict what a jury is going to think is important. I can't tell you how many trials I've been in where you turn and, and afterwards you're talking to the jurors and they're like, well, you know, we were really focused on the color of the car. And you're going, what on earth? Who cares what the color of the car was? That has nothing to do with the case. This case didn't even involve a car. What car were you talking about? Well, there was a car in one of the pictures, and then it wasn't in the other picture. And so we were wondering if maybe the pictures were doctored, and that would mean that the the person who testified was a liar. And you're going, what? What on earth? Where did you get that? So... You know, no matter how much practice and tra- trial prep you do to get this thing ready, the jury can take a wild hair and just go off the deep end somewhere and never return back to left field. And and you think left field's bad. Well, I mean, they're they're out there past the, the, the parking lot wandering down the road. And you're going like, what, where did you go? What, what what on earth possessed you to go after that rabbit? It's like, you know, the dog in, in the movie Up, the old man in the Disney Pixar movie. Squirrel. There they go. And so trying to get them to focus on the things that are important is where all the rules of evidence come in. I mean, we, we try to really pare things down to say, okay, here's the issue here's the evidence, now apply this evidence to this issue. The prosecutor thinks that if you apply this evidence to this issue, you get guilty. I think you don't. Make your choice. And it should be very simple. But no, they start to ask weird questions, and, and they go back to deliberation. They come back with a question. Can we review the video of the, the the police officer who transported the evidence from the scene to the lockup? And you're like, huh? What does that have to do with anything? That doesn't have anything to do with the question. It doesn't have anything to do with the verdict. Why do you want to see it? Well, we want to see it. And then the judges would be like, no. Probably because, not because they really couldn't see it again, but because it just doesn't have any bearing or relevance. And why would you sit there and go through it? Because they're obviously off on a rabbit trail. And you've got to focus in on why we're actually here, which is, did the person commit a crime or not? Or are they justified in their defense or not? And so, what are you going to do? You know, how do you get them to focus? It's a real issue. But you spend all of this time getting ready for trial. You spend so many hours poring over the testimony, figuring out what every person is going to say. And then, the, you know, a, a good attorney will sit there and draft out all their questions so that they know every question that they need to get out and ask. A phenomenal attorney will draft out every possible answer in their head. So that no matter what qu- answer they give to their questions, they have their next question ready and can roll with it. And if you have the ability to predict where people are going, if you're playing the chess game three or four moves ahead of the other person, then you're almost guaranteed the ability to pull off you know, something uh, astounding. And that's the kind of game you got to play. When you go to trial, you've got to be ready with these witnesses to such a degree that it, you can't just kind of wing a trial. You've got to know your case backwards and forwards, and and you see so many new attorneys going into trial with all these huge notebooks with all of the, their evidence and everything that they had, all of the stuff that they're going to refer to. It just doesn't work that way. When we come back, I'll talk about the problems with over prepping trial. Uh, you're listening to George Carried Out.
0: Now, back to org radio with Doug and Jesse King.
1: Welcome back, everybody. When I took the commercial break, I was starting to get into the problems of overprepping trial. And a big problem that young attorneys get into, which just always blows my mind, is that they'll come into court with like reams of paper. All of these depositions or all of these witness statements and all of these police reports, and they're thick and they're heavy and there's tons of stuff. Now, there are some times that you need to have certain documents because you know that someone is going to get up on that stand and lie. And, when, and there is nothing, there is absolutely nothing I hate worse in this entire planet than a liar. If you get up on that stand and lie, I will burn you. I will make it hurt because of what you are trying to do to subvert the system, to hurt somebody else through your false testimony. You know, again, going back to you know my Judeo-Christian background— you want to talk about the 10 commandments there's you know all of these things that are in the 10 commandments there's only 10 things you're going to put in the 10 commandments what are they what are the most important things going to be lying is in there is in there because it is one of the most important things you do now, they didn't just say lying they said bearing false witness and that's an important distinction. It's not just lying is bad. Thou shalt not lie, sure. But bearing false witness, trying to get someone else in trouble through your lies, is one of the most despicable, horrible, nasty, dirty things that a person can do. Right up there with murder and adultery in my book. And I think that people who would willingly lie in the stand in order to, to create a better case or to hurt another person are despicable. And they need to be brought to justice. But that's a side issue. So you might have some documents that you're going to use to impeach somebody and, and make sure that they tell the truth on the stand. But if you are having to refer to all of the witness statements and you don't know the story, when an attorney goes into court, if they don't know their case as well as they know the story of Cinderella, they have failed you. Absolutely, 100% failed you. That attorney has not done their job period. I don't care what they say. I don't care what anybody tells you. If you don't know your case by the time you walk into a courtroom, as well as you know the story of Cinderella, you're a failure, flat out. I've told every intern I've ever had this, that this is your story. This is a story you must know. You need to know it backwards and forwards. You need to know who the characters are. You can't be wondering, what does bippity boppity boo means in the middle of the trial? You got to know this sucker cold, because if you don't, then what are you going to do? How are you going to be able to anticipate what they're going to say? And when they go off the reservation, when they do something weird, how are you going to know what's important? Now, the danger, the danger is, is that you become so wedded to this story that it becomes obvious, and that this is when the jury start to get their wild hairs, because they don't know what's obvious. So, while you have to know it like Cinderella, you have to tell it like your own novel that no one has ever heard before. And the only way you can do that is through prep of presenting the case to people outside of your little bubble that you have direct control over who has been working on the case. You know, you may have a, a firm that has like two paralegals and a secretary. Those three people are not the best people for them to be bouncing their case ideas off of because they already know it and they're going to get into this kind of internal self-think situation where they don't see the problems with the case. They have to have a fresh person to bounce an idea off of. Okay, so now you've got all this time you spent in preparing the case, memorizing the case, getting the case down straight. Now you're gonna have to Bring in a consultant, and if you don't do this, you're failing. You're failing your client because if you don't bounce it off of someone who has never heard it before, and the only way you get to do that is if you hire somebody, because otherwise you're not going to have attorney-client privilege extended to a third party. So they have to work for your attorney. So you're going to have to hire a consultant and run the case off of them to have them to say, well, you know, I noticed there wasn't a car in these two photos. And I'm really worried about that. And then the jury goes, well, shoot, if the jury's going to worry about that, maybe I should just bring it up in passing. So before they start running down the rabbit trail, I can just correct them a little bit and get them where they're supposed to be going. And that's what this is about. This is about directing people's attention. It's like magic. Okay. Law is like magic. And here's why. If you guys ever watched Harry Potter you know that the little tiny differences in the hand motions and even the wrong inflection will make the spell not work, right? When guardian leviosa, it was leviosa, not leviosa, that was the difference between making the stupid spell work or not. And using the right language in court is the difference between winning and losing a lot of the time. If you have the right language, if you know exactly how to present it to the judge, you can get a lot further than if you're there blundering around. And that's why people who, who, you know, say, oh well, you know, I can, this isn't a big deal. Of course, they don't ever say that to self-defense shootings, but for speeding tickets, everyone, oh, it's not a big deal. I can go handle this myself. And they go down there and they don't know what they're saying. And the next thing you know, they've got a conviction and they paid their $150 and they wasted their afternoon where they could have just paid the $150 two weeks ago, got the same conviction and not wasted their afternoon. And instead, you go in there and you say the right words. You get into the right program. You get it kicked over. Boom! Next thing you know, you don't have a conviction at all. You only paid seventy-five bucks instead of one hundred and fifty, and your attorney got you out in ten minutes instead of taking three hours. There are advantages to knowing the system and knowing what words to say and knowing how to cast the right spell to make it work. But the the truth is, is that all of this is a massive amount of work, <coughs> and most attorneys don't want to have to do it. Now, there are crazy people like myself who have done this way too much. When I was a prosecutor in Alaska, I tried to case almost every single week. And I'm not talking I've tried a, a speeding ticket or a no tag case. I'm talking about rape, incest, child molestation, the worst of the worst, shooting, stabbings, anything you can imagine that is a horrible crime one person on another. Now, the strange thing is in Alaska, in these rural towns, they don't rob each other. There is like no theft. There is no robbery there's no trespassing people don't break into each other's house there's no burglary doesn't happen but they get drunk they stab each other they shoot each other they drive around on four-wheelers yelling you know obscenities at police officers and trying to run them over sure all that happens every day every single day three or four times a day but trying to rob somebody just not not an issue so think about that and think about the the vast number of jury trials that I've had well in one year I did, uh, I'm, I swear I did 52 jury trials in a 12-month period of felonies. I mean, it was just it was horrendous. And then you look back over a long career of, of being that kind of, I like to take things to trial lawyer, and, and you have a couple hundreds of felony jury trials under your belt, and then things just don't look quite so scary when you're getting ready. You know how to craft a story and get things together and pull it together. But I maintain that if you don't have passion for your client, then you are doing your client a great disservice. If you don't believe in your client's case, you have no no authority, no moral authority to tell a jury to believe in your client's case. And so if you get a lawyer who do- thinks that you honestly should not have been carrying a gun, that's not the lawyer for you. If you've got a lawyer who doesn't know the inside of a courtroom, that's not the lawyer for you. You're going to need somebody who can do both. And the only people who can do both are people who... Who have a larger practice they're going to be doing other things that they find can get them inside of a courtroom unfortunately that means that they're not going to be doing a lot of criminal defense work anymore because of the way that we have had the government completely usurp take away abscond with the criminal defense system and give it over to itself i mean there it is it is a government encroachment if if the government said in order for everybody's entitled to a free car but you can only get the cars we make how many cars do you think ford motor company would still be making I mean, honestly, let's let's just look at it in terms of cars. If the government promised every person who couldn't afford a car a free car that they would make their own cars and you could get a free car from them, and you didn't even have to prove that you couldn't afford a car. They would just give you a car, and it was going to be a government motor car, GMC. Oh, my goodness, that's already used. And they took government bailout money, too. Well, maybe that was appropriate then. So you can get a free GMC anytime you want. Or you can go pay good money out of your pocket and get a Ford. How many Fords do you think they're still going to be making? Almost none. That's just the the honest truth of it. Everyone's going to be driving GMCs. That's just the way it's going to be. Because who's going to turn down a free car? And who's going to turn down a free lawyer? Especially if you don't have to prove that you're indigent. And when you start to see that everybody gets the public defender and... Most of them do pretty well in getting a decent plea deal because, you know, one hand washes the other, the prosecutor gives them a good deal, the public defender doesn't have to go to trial, prosecutor doesn't have to go to trial, this whole system works. You know, look at look at like Cobb County. Cobb County, I'm, I've got a criminal case pending in Cobb County right now, I want to say that the docket number's in the 5,000s. They've got 5,000 felony cases in Cobb County so far this year, and we're only in the middle of October. 5,000 cases. And they have, what, 15 judges? So let's take 15 times 52. Is that 5,000? No. So if every single person demanded a jury trial, there would be absolutely no way to try all those cases. It just is not physically possible with the system we have in place. Next problem is how long does it take to get you in trial? Because here in Georgia, in order to get a speedy trial, you have to file a special motion for it to get it. In Alaska, every case was a speedy trial. Georgia, it might be, you might get indicted three to five months after your arrest. You might be tried two or three years after your indictment. In Alaska, if your case was not indicted ten days, ten days after your arrest, case was dismissed. If your trial did not occur within 120 days, 120 days, not five years, 120 days after your arrest, case was dismissed, could never be brought up again. You were a free man, didn't have to worry about the murder charge. Boom. Think about that. Now, you say, well, Alaska has a lot fewer criminals. No, that's not true. Alaska has a lot more criminals. Per capita, there seems to be way more crime per person in Alaska than I ever have seen in Georgia. Ever. So they're handling a higher case volume with fewer attorneys with strict deadlines that accelerate the process 20 times faster than it happens here in Georgia. And yet... They get all their casework done, and down here, it's, well, we don't have resources, we don't have time, and if you do anything to us, we're going to go scream to the legislature, because the prosecuting attorney's counsel has way too much authority to make the legislature bend over backwards to do whatever they want to do. And people's rights are being trampled left, right, and center by a system that really is not accountable to anybody, because the last bulwark against the accountability for the system, the defense attorney, the one who was standing in the way of the people who were being railroaded, the one who would stand up for your rights, has been, has been socialized. I mean, that's really what's happened. This has been socialized. Folks, we're at a commercial break. I will return in just a moment.
0: And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King.
1: Folks, we're back. And um, when we were going into the commercial break, I was getting a little riled up about the complete and utter socialization of, of our justice system. And I don't know. Maybe that's not a little bit not fair. I, I don't have anyone here to, to rein me in or to, to, to keep me in check this week. So I'm, I'm getting a little bit crazy. But let, let's just be honest. There is nobody in a courtroom today who is not on a government payroll. Every single person there is on the government payroll in a criminal defense case. And the only way that you're going to be able to, to like rein this in and hold people accountable and hold them to task is if you have someone who doesn't, who is not beholden to the government system, who is not on the government dole, who doesn't need to fear for the government taking away their job to fight for it. And that's the honest truth. You're going to need someone who can fight. And that makes a big difference. You have to have someone who who is not beholden to anybody else for their income, who is independent. You want a, a trailblazer who will fight for you. And you look at what's going on in in trials, and oh my goodness i had I had a case two weeks ago that I'm still livid over because we worked out a deal. Now this had nothing to do with guns. this was just a criminal defense. it was a It was a speeding case, right? speeding and eluding big deal right you know who it wasn't it wasn't a felony it wasn't anything we worked out a deal prosecutor gave us an offer client liked it we were all happy no need for a trial but you know when the deal came you know when the offer came for that deal it came three days before the trial was set to start when we had announced ready for trial and we are ready for trial and well, let's go try this thing, suddenly the deal gets good enough that, okay, we'll, we'll make you a deal that you'll take because we don't want to try it. All right. And I can't tell you how many times that's happened in my career either, that we get calls. I've had calls at nine o'clock at night, the night before trial started with, what, are, what is it going to take for your client to plead out? Because we'll do anything. All right. We'll reduce the three felonies to a misdemeanor. You got it. Just come in and plead because we don't want them to try this tomorrow. Yeah. That happens right on the eve of trial, because if you're ready, if you're willing, if you're able to go to trial, they're not able to try every case, and they know it. Now, they can... It's kind of like, you know, if you're the only man with a gun in a room of people who are trying to kill you, you can't kill all the people in the room. You don't... Well, maybe if you have a minigun. Oh, and I'll talk about miniguns in a second, because I got a story there, too. But... You can't shoot everybody, is what I was getting at. But the truth is is that you can point the gun at whoever the ringleader is and says, I can't shoot everybody, but I can shoot you. And that's the prosecutor's final line of defense. No, they can't try every case. But they can sure as shooting try your case and make you go down hard. And that keeps everybody in line so that there isn't a revolt and multiple trials or multiple requests for speedy trial demand. Now we're kind of we're kind of coming out to the i know we're in our last segment or should be doing the good the bad and the ugly i don't have a good the bad or the ugly but i do have an interesting story to tell you something that's kind of personal to me and, and i really wanted to get out there today because i've represented a lot of people who have been charged with taking a gun to school or taking a knife to school now this is really odd in public schools There has been a long history of zero tolerance. If you chew your pop tart into a gun, you get suspended. If you um, make a gun out of your forefinger and thumb, you get suspended. We won't tolerate anything like that. This is why God has given us private schools. And I am firmly a believer in private education because it takes the, – the, the whole thing I've been ranting about, the socialization of, of criminal defense, the socialization of our schools. Everything comes down to being part of this gigantic government-run, government-funded, government-created entity that rules our lives from cradle to grave in every form imaginable, including educating our children for us and conditioning our children not to think for themselves. But here I see I went the extra mile. I have taken out of my meager income – and made sure that my children go to a private school, a good private school. Now, is it one of those fancy rich kid schools? Not at all. This is a, a Baptist school in Ackworth. Harvest Baptist is probably the best school I've ever seen in my life. They have good teachers, hardworking teachers. They have a tough curriculum. They teach the kids well. They learn things. I mean, they still teach cursive. Thank goodness that they teach cursive. Because how else are these kids going to read the, the Declaration of Independence if they can't read cursive? Right? I mean, the government doesn't even care that you can't read the founding documents anymore because they're not even interested in people reading the founding documents because they don't follow them themselves, but they teach cursive. So, my son comes home the other day and he's in second grade, big old second grader, you know, he knows the way the world works and he says, "Dad, I'm going to take my Nerf gun to school." I'm like, "Really?" Because, you know, I represented someone not too long ago who took a, a BB gun to school, and next thing you know, he's suspended, and they're trying to press criminal charges and, and have him declare a juvenile delinquent. He's like, no, 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 teacher said it was okay. I was like, really? He says, yeah, yeah, we've been doing real good in school. Teacher said that we can bring our Nerf guns. We're going to have a Nerf battle. In fact, she ordered a, a Nerf gun to, f- to shoot with us. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I said, now, now tell me, John. Level with me here. How bad have you guys been? He's like, what do you mean bad? We've been doing good. That's why she gave us the the treat. I was like, no, no, no. It sounds like you guys have been in so much trouble that she's so fed up that she needs to shoot you guys with a Nerf gun. And she went and ordered a special Nerf gun just to be able to shoot you guys with it. Of course, he didn't find that very funny. So we we got him loaded up and took him to school with his Nerf gun. Now, of course, you know, my son, good boy that he is. Is he going to have a little pea shooter Nerf gun? Does that sound like Doug King's son to be going to, to a Nerf battle with something that you have to cock and, and reload every time? Is it you, would you would I send my son into war with a single shot pistol? Absolutely not boy went to school with his belt-fed. You heard it right, right here. Nerf gun, belt-fed Nerf gun, fully automatic. You hold it like a chainsaw. You lay down fire. We even talked a little bit about how to take cover in case, you know, someone's sneaking up on them. But to get up there and lay down fire so that all those kids hit their desks and that teacher with her fancy new gun learns what it's like to take on somebody who's got over 100 rounds of ammunition pumping through with 9 volts of full electricity powering it down downrange. Anyway... We've seen liberty completely eroded in our country, but there are pockets of common sense. There are places still where fun is fun, where people aren't being conditioned to think a certain way, where people's creativity is fostered. And I want to encourage all of you to get active. This is the time. This is the time we need to take this country back and get active. And the only way we're going to do it, the only way we are going to stop things like public schools that suspend people for Pop-Tarts, the only way we're going to get it so that it's the obvious answer is not a government-owned public defender, the only way that we're going to get it so that the police are held accountable, so that Every facet of society goes back towards privatization and personal accountability is for us to get involved. And how are you going to get involved? You're going to join georgiacarry.org If you go to wwwgeorgiacarry.org in the top left-hand corner, you're going to see a button that says Join Now. $20. $20 is going to make a world of difference in your life because you will start to get the information you need to make changes in the state of Georgia. And it is time. It is time for you to get involved. It is time for you to get your phone out and make a call to your legislature and say, I want want to have lunch with you. I'm a member of georgiacarry.org and you need to know what we're going to be doing this year. It's time for you to take that smartphone and type out a quick email to all of the members of the Georgia House and say hey, Georgia Carry's coming. Be ready. It's time for you to go down to the Capitol and be there on the day when they have committee hearings wearing that orange button that says gun saves lives. It's time for you to personally Not push it off anymore. You can't push this off to somebody else. You can't just make a forum post once in a while and say that it's good enough. It's time for you to get involved. And the way you're going to get involved is you're going to join org. You're going to either do it on the website or you're going to go to a gun show. You're going to go to a festival. I, I know that. Uh, today in Cartersville, there's a bluegrass festival, and Georgia Carey's going to be up there getting people signed up. You're going to go to the bluegrass festival. If you don't like bluegrass, hopefully they'll have someone at next week's Booth Western Art Museum Cowboy Days because I love cowboy stuff. If nothing else, I'll be there. I'll start. I'll sign you up myself. Just look for the guy with the goatee and the big cowboy hat carrying a 1911, and I'll sign you up for GeorgiaCarey dot org. That way you can start to get involved. And if you really want to to meet people and become Influential. The best way to do it is through local chapter meetings. There's, you know, a South Metro chapter. There's a Valdosa chapter. There's a Macon chapter. There's a North Georgia chapter. Go out and meet some people who are believing in this cause, who have same interests, who who want to do something for good. And together, when there's two or more of you gathered together, you're, you'll find strength, and then you'll be able to draw from each other's experience and you won't be afraid to go and talk to the legislatures talk to your judges talk to your county commissioners and make a change and it is time to start making a change that the judges know that there's that we as a group are going to change their laws and you know since I've gotten back to Georgia from Alaska every judge asks a person who's pleading guilty to a felony do you have a Georgia weapons carry license was it issued in the last year a couple of years what county was it issued in if you do because we've made a change where they realize that they have a personal responsibility. You can't just push this off all gun owners are doing wrong because somebody, you know, did this or that. No, it's that individual and if they did something to lose their license, they should lose their license. But way too often these judges take no concern over what the law really says, how it's applied. They deny licenses wantonly with no reason. The moment you file an appeal, they cave in and turn around and say, oh, oh, oh we're sorry. We're sorry. Here's your license. We were just testing to see if you were really going to fight for it or not. It's ridiculous. And it is time for us as a group, as a society, as a, as a, a geographical, homogenous people of the South to rise up and say, look, we're not going to take this. We're asserting our rights. We know what's right and what's wrong. This is time. This is the time to remember why we have fought and died for uh, our ancestors have fought and died for this country to make this country great, and that we will not surrender it to the likes of people who think that freedom is is not worth the price of security, people who think that the effort is not worth being maintained. Folks, we'll be back next week. Same time, same channel. Jesse will be back. We'll have a better topic for you. Enjoy your weekend.
0: This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.